It was the 1960s. Chuck had finished basketball practice when his buddy Dave asked, Hey, want to come over and watch TV? Chuck shrugged, said sure, and rode with his friend through the night toward his home on Round Lake Road. The two teens pulled into the driveway, headed to the front door, and entered the warm, inviting house. Chuck sat on the couch, and his friend sat on a nearby chair. They turned on Gunsmoke and began to chat a bit about practice and other boy stuff of the 1960s. The door suddenly opened, and Chuck turned to see a man walk into the room. The man shut the door behind him and then sat in a lounge chair next to the couch. No one said a word. Chuck wasn't exactly sure who the man was and waited for Dave to say something. But he didn't. The episode came to a commercial break. The man stood up and said, Well, I'd better be going. And went through the kitchen and out the back door. Chuck turned to Dave and said, Who was that? Dave's eyes were wide as he replied in a shaky voice, My father. Chuck was confused. He said, I guess I thought your dad died in the Korean War. Dave turned to Chuck with terror in his eyes. He did, Dave whispered. Welcome to Where They Stood, a podcast dedicated to Michigan history and morbidly amazing stories buried deep and not so deep in our family trees. I'm your spooky, long story long podcast host, Holly Kaur, and today's episode is so full of ghostly tales that I'm not sure I'll be able to include them all. Our episode opener was a story my father told me one night when we were hanging together at the Spartan Sports Den. No longer in business, sadly. It freaked me right out, but there is always a part of me that kind of like doesn't believe it. (laughs) Not seriously, at least. Oh, my dad said, if you think I'm full of shit, you can call the guy that lives in that house now. He'll tell you all about the freak show stuff that goes on. So I did. I absolutely went to the payphone and called the guy up. See, you used to be able to, like, look up someone's name and home phone number in a book, like, even their home address. Anyhow, I called this guy, explained who I was, and he sort of chuckled. What part do you want to know? How my house ghost hides my tools or undoes anything I do to his house? Uh Uh, yeah, all of it. (laughs) Give it to me. I want to know it all. This man told me about how he had decided to paint the pale yellow walls a dark blue. Everything was fine when he woke up the next morning and went to work. But when he came home, the walls were back to the color yellow. Well, could it have been your wife, I asked? She's the one who picked out the blue, he laughed. He continued. I went to the shed to grab the blue paint can I left in there, but it was missing. Completely gone. I was pissed. Drove up to the hardware store, bought another can of the dark blue paint, and went back to work covering up the yellow. 
damned if it didn't happen again. I came home from work and the yellow was back. I thought for sure it had been my wife that time, but she'd been at work all day too. And the house had been locked up both times. And do you mean to tell me someone's breaking in my house just to paint the wall back to yellow? I said screw it and just left the damn wall alone. Still yellow, just like the day we bought the house. (sighs) Okay, maybe that's a little unexplained, but I remember the story just giving me the absolute scares. Stories of haunted houses usually do. I had a woman write to me on the Where They Stood Facebook page. Her name is Erica. She lives in a, quote, haunted house in Charlotte, Michigan. She and her husband, Bill, invited me out to see the house and allowed everyone's favorite metal detectorist, my husband, Joe, to detect their yard. The home was built sometime in the early 1900s, as far as we can tell. There had been additions to the home over the years, and it was actually turned into a duplex for a while as well. When Erica's husband, Bill, bought the house, it was in bad shape. It was now one house again, and he restored many parts of it. I didn't move in for six months trying to make this place livable, he said. The couple showed me around the house, including the random second chimney at the back of the house that you can't even get to and it doesn't have any obvious signs of purpose. And also, the basement. I get a weird vibe down there, Erica said, like someone is always watching me. Bill agreed. He said that he's never been a sleepwalker, but for some reason, he woke up in a chair next to the furnace, not remembering how he got there. It was the weirdest thing, he said. And that was about the same time I saw the ghost lady in the corner of the bedroom. Ghost lady? Bill told me that one night he woke up suddenly and saw an old, dead-looking lady with long black hair. He yelled, thinking it was Erica who was sound asleep next to him. If I wasn't sleeping well before, he laughed, I was screwed now. Erica then told me of the black forms they see run through the house. Sometimes these black objects are as tall as the baseboards, and sometimes they are the size of a cat. Sometimes larger. These objects will sort of move across the room and make you feel extremely uneasy. These Black things feed off of how you're feeling, Erica said. Bill nodded in agreement. The more afraid you are, the worse it gets. It's like something is hiding and watching you. But not all of the spirits seem to be evil. There is a ghostly spirit who dresses like a farmer. He is tall and thin with a long black beard. The couple call him Farmer John. He seems to be a protector of some kind, Erica said. Protecting us, Bill laughed. Then he continued. I saw him standing in the kitchen once, and not just for a quick second. He stood and stared at me until I realized, I don't know this person, and then he was gone. The spookies seemed to follow Bill and Erica all the way down to the Big Easy. The couple vacationed in New Orleans with Bill's sister. They rented a house in one night. Bill woke up to see a woman dressed in a Victorian gown. Her head was like cracked sideways, not just turned sideways, but like it was unnaturally sideways. He screamed and the woman disappeared into the night air like a mist. 
The next morning, Bill's sister, who had maybe stayed on the first floor of the house, I've got to get better at interviewing people, asked Erica the strangest question. Hey, what were you getting out of the fridge last night? Erica was confused. Nothing? Bill's sister said, huh, that's weird. I also thought it was weird that you were wearing like an old-fashioned white nightgown. I asked you what you were doing, and you turned to look at me, but your head was like, really weird. Like, it was turned way too far. Bill couldn't believe it. He hadn't even had a chance to tell his sister the story from last night. You saw the same freaking lady that I saw, he yelled. Bill later found out that the condo slash house they had rented had been a brothel on one side and a funeral home on the other. Apparently, sex workers would often hang themselves and their bodies would just be moved next door to the adjoining funeral home. Creepy and sad. Okay, okay, okay. This all seems like it could have just been hypnagogia, right? Hallucinations brought on by stress, being overly tired, or, you know, emotionally something. I don't know. But then how do you explain other people seeing these weird things at the same time, like Bill and his sister? Or when the kids report that they don't like the guy upstairs, the one who's bleeding from his mouth? Screw that. Okay, so Bill's daughter, who has lived in the house her whole life of like nine-ish years, has always talked about seeing someone else in the house. She's somewhat used to hearing Farmer John walk up and down the stairs. And these aren't like old house groans and squeaks. This is the sound of someone tromping up and down the stairs. One time they had a friend's second grader over visiting And the child randomly asked Bill and Erica, who's the old guy you keep up there? (laughs) Okay, so I did a little, a lot, because that's me, investigating on the house. Now keep in mind, I'm doing historical research, not paranormal. That is not my area of expertise here. In my research, with the help of my historical home friend, Sarah Grusbeck, I discovered that house was built by Frank Dean. Frank Dean was an attorney from Charlotte, Michigan. According to rootsweb.com and other sources, quote, he was known statewide as a great lecturer and gave many talks throughout Michigan. He was appointed as consulate of the United States in the city of Naples, Italy, during President Grover Cleveland's administration, 1893. His father also served as vice counsel in Naples at the same time. Frank married Olga Antonatis after returning from Naples. All right, I'm just going to end that quote here. Let me sort of tell you about Frank's two wives. He didn't have them at the same time. All right, so the first wife was Belle. And he and Belle were the ones who bought the property that this house that Erica and Bill live in, sits on. And we're not sure if Belle and Frank Dean lived in that house, but they may have lived in another structure on that property. And the property was a lot bigger, you see, because it used to be a farm. And it was a farm owned by Frank Dean's father, Jonathan 
Dean. Do you remember the name of the ghost farmer that walks around the house? I mean, Erica and Bill named him, but his name is just coincidentally Farmer John. And yes, Jonathan Dean was a farmer. He was listed as that in 1870 before he was a consulate. Kind of interesting, right? Okay, okay. Maybe everyone is just a little too wound up here and imagining all of it, right? Well, what about the animals? Because pets don't lie. (laughs) The pets are seeing some bonkers crap, too. Whether it was Leo the dog suddenly growling at a shadow passing by the bedroom door, or the cats reacting to nothing there, but feeling an evil presence, something is going on in that house. Oh, yeah. Oh, 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 yeah. I asked Joey what he found when he was metal detecting, and he said that he found a cast iron pipe and a really old glass mason jar lid, some modern coins, and two giant steel structures that he did not dig up. Interesting. So that's fun. Also, I wanted to point something out for anywhere they stood experts. Our friend Frank Marple, who owned the bakery in downtown Charlotte in the late 1800s, lived kitty corner from Farmer John's home. I mean, from Bill and Erica's home. Also, animals. I mean, like I said, animals are pretty sensitive to stuff. Stuff you and I can't see, right? I was reading an article from Morbid Knowledge on a social media platform I will always call Twitter. Quote, In 2005, a six-month-old kitten named Oscar was adopted by a nursing home. However, the workers noticed something peculiar about him. While Oscar usually preferred to be alone, he occasionally crawled into a resident's bed and snuggled beside them. The eerie thing about this is that the resident that Oscar would cuddle with would usually die within hours. End quote. Well, that's morbid. The article continues, quote, Initially, the staff didn't think much of it, but after this happened 20 times, they started to believe Oscar knew when someone was close to passing away. And so when they noticed the cat next to a resident, they would call that person's loved ones to warn them End quote. Imagine getting that call. Yes, Ms. Smith. Our death cat has been cuddling your father for about 20 minutes now. You better get in here. Back to the article. Quote, Researchers speculate that Oscar could smell biochemicals released by dying cells and so chose to comfort lonely residents. On one occasion, the staff was convinced that a resident was about to pass away, but Oscar refused to sit with him. Instead, he chose another resident who looked healthier, and that person passed away first. Oscar died in 2022, and over the course of his life, accurately predicted over 100 deaths. End quote. That is just bonkers. Also, cute cat. My college friend Becky sent me this goodie. She wrote that as a teenager, she and her friends used to drive out to the shoe tree near Novi... What? Stop. Wait, did you hear me? I said a shoe tree. My friend Becky told of how she drove out to the shoe tree as a teen 
And the story went that if you heard a dog bark, you better run because there was a man who was going to kill you and hang your shoes in the tree. One night, when she and her friends were out there, the dog barked. She writes, We screamed and got in the car and drove off as fast as we could. I decided to visit the Mysterious Michigan website for more information. Now, my more sensitive listeners may be disturbed at what I'm about to share, but I promise you it's not as bad as you think because it's just a legend, right? This is an anonymous posting from the www.shadowlands.net website. Quote, The shoe tree was on 13 Mile Road in Novi, a quarter mile from Wald Lake, and on the site of the old Wald Lake Amusement Park. A child killer, the infamous Wald Lake child killer, kidnapped the children from the park and buried their bodies in the nearby field around the tree. He threw their shoes into the tree. When the many dangling shoes were investigated, the bodies were found, but the killer never was. If you went to the field at night, you could see and hear the clumps of tall grass moving around you and you could hear the children cry for their mothers. Witnesses report distinct, audible cries. The cries were not distant, but from just a few feet away. As you walked to where the cries came from, they seemed to move around. Not moving farther away, just around. Sometimes back to where you were just standing. Just walking by the field would make your hair stand on end. The land was developed within the past couple of years. End quote. Yeah, okay. So, hold on. Apparently, there is a subdivision now where that land is, but the field was on the south side of 13 Mile between Meadowbrook Road and Decker. The amusement park was closed down, not because of murders, but because it rested on an old native burial ground. Hmm. Okay, so the story doesn't have a lot of actual merit, and people think that they're confusing a bunch of different legends and rolling them up into one. But there was a reader submission that was left on the website, and I wish I could credit someone with the story, but I can't. Quote, When I was in high school, 1990 to 1994, we always heard of a shoe tree on 8 Mile Road west of Beck in Northville. So, one Friday night, I drove in one car and a friend drove another with three passengers and each to see if this was true. The story went like this. Again, this is all a giant story somebody wrote online. All right. There was a crazy man who lived in a house with a big yellow smiley face on the garage door. If you went past his house and the door wasn't shut, he was killing someone in the garage. (laughs) If the door was open, he was looking for someone to kill. Then he threw the shoes up in the shoe tree, which was on 8 Mile Road. The road itself at the time was very narrow and dirt. Not 8 Mile Road, this is the other road. The trees overhung and at night looked very scary. We went that Friday night looking first for the house and found no garage door with a smiley face although some people's doors were open. We continued on 8 Mile and came across the shoe tree. There were hundreds of shoes in the tree, which wilted severely over the road due to weight. We thought it was cool, so we continued driving on the road. About a mile later, we saw a garage door with a smiley face on it. I remember saying, there it is, and the girls in the back started screaming. 
I stopped the car to let the other car know, as the garage was set back a ways. They all got out to look. We thought it was cool and decided to go home as many of the girls were scared. We continued driving west on 8 Mile looking for a road to turn around on, but never came across one. So I decided to turn around in a long dirt driveway. I drove about 100 feet back, stopped the car and put it in reverse to turn around. And then we saw huge spotlights turn on from behind the house of the driveway we were just in, and they started moving towards us. My friend in the car behind turned around fast, but I had to wait for him to drive away before I could turn around. I finally turned around and those bright lights were right on us. It was two big trucks with spotlights on the top of the hood. My friend turned one way out of the driveway and I turned the other. The two trucks both split as well, so one was following each of us. I had a little Ford Escort and my friend had a Taurus, and he got away fast, although the truck chased him for about 15 miles. The truck chasing us eventually caught up with us after going through a red light and cut us off. A large man got out of the car and came up to my window and tapped on it with his flashlight. Man, what are you guys doing in our driveway? Me, nothing. We were just lost and looking for a place to turn around and thought that was a road. Man, he looked at each person in the car. Don't ever, expletive, come back there again. No problem. It was two hours later that we finally met up with the other car and both told our stories. We never went back there again. One girl actually told the story as a speech in a high school speech class, and this story can be verified by people on Facebook. Now that area of eight miles all built up with houses and a golf course. I know myself and the others in the car will never forget the shoe tree story. It almost sounds like there's more than one shoe tree in that area. Mysterious Michigan has a whole list of towns where there are shoe trees, which include the following places. Traverse City on Potter Road, Bath on the corner of Chandler and Clark, and Beaver Island, South Side. Of course, it's Beaver Flippin' Island on the South Side. The next set of stories are from good old Holt, Michigan, and come from the home of a beloved figure in this community, Rocky Shaft. I will be telling you more about Rock in a future episode, but it was my absolute pleasure to sit with his wife Liz and let her scare the <laughs> right out of me, story after story. The first is about Uncle Jack. Uncle Jack served in the CRAF, Canadian Royal Air Force, but later transferred to the USA Air Force. He was a tail gunner on a B-24 Liberator bomber. He had participated in 28 missions. On August 16, 1944, Jack's plane was shot down over Germany. His body was flown home, but his family was told, it is sometimes difficult to identify bodies. Please know you might not get your son's actual body, but his body will be cared for. All right, so Jack's father said, whoever we actually get, we will treat as our own. Jack's body was returned home, and the family buried their boy. Years later, the phone rang. On the other line was a staticky call. It sounded like the caller said, Mom? Mom, I'm okay. This is Jack. 
Then the line went dead. There was one other similar call, but then silence. Decades went by. And then last year, so what, like 70 years later, a woman reached out to the family. She was from somewhere in Europe. She claimed to be the granddaughter of Jack. Could it be? Liz told me so many stories that included her house. First, there's a little boy who likes to play peekaboo by looking around corners and then running away. Screw that. (laughs) Sorry. One of these times, it was Liz's daughter, Heather, who saw the boy. Liz and Heather were putting up Christmas decorations outside around the east side of the house when Heather stopped short. Mom, she said slowly, do you see what I see? Liz turned to see a dark-haired boy wearing a light brown corduroy coat. He was standing near the corner of the house. Yes, I see him, Liz said. What does he want? What should I do, Mom? Just go about your business, Liz said. He doesn't want to hurt you. He just wants to watch. When they finished decorating, he was gone. The family went out to eat, but when they returned the decorations on that side of the house, the side where the spooky boy had been standing, would not work. Liz and her husband went to the back of the house to where the plugs were plugged in. The outlet had melted, and it seemed to be a very dangerous situation, especially if the family hadn't returned home in time. Liz believes the little boy was trying to warn them. Another incident happened while I was visiting Liz. It was right after Rocky had passed away. I was standing at her dining room table when the grandfather clock began chiming. I waited for it to finish, but before I said a word, Liz smiled and explained. That clock has never chimed. It started the day Rocky died. While I was at her house, collecting these stories, the clock rang several more times. There are so many stories from the Shaft House, but I'm just going to save those for later. I asked my sister-in-law, Rebecca, if she had any stories to tell me. She snapped her laptop shut and said, where do I even start? (laughs) When Becky lived in Colorado, she had an upstairs apartment and a family home with a separate entrance. She watched the children downstairs quite often. One of them was a girl. One night, Becky was laying in bed with her dog when she saw a little girl standing in the hallway just outside her door. Thinking it was the little girl from the family she worked for, Becky said, You're not supposed to be up here. Becky got up out of the bed, but no one was there. She looked down the hallway and nope. There was no way the little girl downstairs could have gotten into my apartment, she said. Becky's roommate also had an experience with a little girl. The house was old without proper closets, so one had been added to an upstairs room. Except the space they added it to had a window inside, which was kind of weird, Becky said. My roommate opened her closet door once, and there was a little girl standing by the window. Before my roommate could register what she was seeing, the girl was gone. Becky was curious and decided to ask the family who lived on the first floor. Oh my, the woman said. You don't know about this house? It's famous for being haunted. 
Then she goes on to tell me how a little girl had fallen out of the second story window years and years ago and died. Which window? Oh, you know which window. It was the same window in her roommate's closet. Rebecca had another story to tell me, though. In this one, she lived in Lansing. Her son, my nephew, was sleeping in his crib when this toy, and I can't remember if it was like one of those leapfrog dogs, like the green one, Scout, or maybe it was like the Fisher-Price laugh-and-learn dog. Anyhow, it was a toy, and it had things that it said and things it didn't say. Well, the stupid thing went off during the night, so Rebecca ran into the room to turn it off. But she was having one of those moments where, like, it wouldn't turn off, and it began to kind of say things that it normally wouldn't say. And it freaked her out. Finally, she got it to turn off, so she set it back in the rocking chair. Maybe she thought, I'm just really tired. About 10 minutes went by and she heard the stupid dog go off again. She thought it was strange because, again, the toy was saying things it normally didn't say. And when she got to the bedroom, the dog wasn't on the rocking chair. It had been moved to the other side of the freaking room. Her baby was sleeping in the crib. Although he was starting to wake up because of this possessed toy, Her husband was asleep too, like, yo, what was going on? Rebecca picked up the toy, opened the closet door, and slammed it shut. (laughs) She probably didn't slam it shut, but she gently put it. I would have put that damn thing outside in the trash bin. Anyway, she just felt like she wasn't alone in that room. And I don't think that, like, the dog's head started spinning around, but... Many other things happened in this house, so Rebecca decided to call a paranormal investigator. They eventually came out there and set up a camera in her son's room. The results? Mm. Whenever her son would stir at night, probably when he was changing sleep cycles, sometimes he would whimper, and whenever that would happen, this orb, like a light, would appear. Just a small one and it would flow over to her son as if to comfort him. This happened several times that night. Rebecca wasn't too freaked out by whatever this was. She felt that the spirit was just trying to calm her son. All right, this story comes from my cousin Josh. Josh, quick, give me a ghost story in 30 seconds or less, I said to him. Oh, I got this, he replied. My dad and I were talking about ghosts one day, and I said I didn't really believe in all that. And as soon as I got done saying that, the lights flickered. I laughed and said, if that was really a ghost, then make the lights flicker again. And the lights freaking flickered again. But the craziest part was that years and years later, I was telling my wife this story, and as soon as I got to the part about the lights flickering, the lights freaking flickered. Ooh, that's a good one. The next one will be told in story form. Paula was relieved to have a weekend at home with her parents. She had been working hard at cosmetology school in Battle Creek, Michigan, and keeping up with her apartment. This would feel like a mini vacay, and she would be sleeping in her own childhood home. 
a home that was almost 100 years old and built by her great-grandparents. But it was a cozy place and for the most part, quiet. That night, Paula stretched out in her bed and went soundly to sleep. She was awakened later that evening and turned toward her bedroom window. The windows in this house were tall, as they were placed there sometime around the 1880s. Paula's mother only had curtains to cover the bottom half of the window, exposing the top portion to the light of the sun and the stars. But on this night, it had been drizzly. And on this night, Paula got the feeling as if someone were watching her. She stared at the window, and what she saw scared her for decades to come. It was the face and chest of a man looking at her through that top half of the window. Paula was frozen with fear, too afraid to scream, too terrified to turn away. As she and the man stared at each other, Paula realized she knew this man. It was her 26-year-old cousin, Jack. Jack and his wife lived just a mile or so away, but because Jack and Paula weren't close in age and were actually second cousins, they actually just weren't very close. Oh, she liked him and everything, but they hadn't really grown up together. Why on earth was he in her window? Another thought occurred to Paula. How had Jack gotten up that high in order to look through the window? Another thought came to Paula. She must be dreaming. It had to be a dream. She put her pillow over her head and shook with fear until she finally went to sleep. But the worst was yet to come. When Paula opened her eyes that morning, she gasped. Her room was in shambles. Someone had gone through her room and completely ransacked it. Her clothes were strewn about, books lay everywhere, and her lamp was knocked over. The little prisms that hung from it were scattered throughout the room. A cold chill went through Paula as she quietly opened her bedroom door. The rest of the house was fine. Nothing was out of the ordinary. She returned to her room and quietly picked up. Paula was not a person to drink, do drugs, sleepwalk, or sleep trash bedrooms. What in the world had happened? Paula spent the rest of the day pondering what had happened to her, but she didn't dare say anything to her parents for fear of upsetting them. She returned to her apartment in Battle Creek that evening, and the phone rang. It was her mother. Paula, your cousin Jack was killed in a plane crash today. Paula thought she would pass out. How could this be? Jack was a pilot, and he had had an airplane dealer from Holland, Michigan, named Tom Burgess, to his home to do an open house. Jack had like a homemade runway installed behind his home. The plane they were flying, quote, nosed over and fell 400 feet onto the runway. Burgess was stunt flying when the plane lost control, end quote. Did Paula have a premonition? She kept her secret for years to come, but revealed this story to her daughter, who then revealed it to me. It has haunted me for years, Paula said, and I do believe that somehow, for some reason, I did see Jack before he passed away. So these are just some of the stories that I've collected lately, but I've saved my story for the very last. 
And it really isn't my story. It's a story I was hesitant to share, but man, it's pretty creepy. The story opens with Charles. He arrived in this world in 1902 and grew up near the town of Cement City, Michigan. He married Chloe, and together they had four children. Charles Jr., James, Patricia, and Gerald. Now the story goes that after the death of his wife, Charles lived for several more years. But in 1985, he moved into a group home where he could be better cared for. He was suffering from macular degeneration, which according to the National Eye Institute, is an eye disease that can blur your central vision. It happens when aging causes damage to the macula, the part of the eye that controls sharp, straight-ahead vision. Charles could not see straight ahead anymore, but he could see looking through his limited side vision. One day, Charles was sitting with a nurse. He suddenly said, Who's there? The nurse looked around. No one, sir, she assured him. But Charles was not convinced. I know someone's here, he insisted. I can see her next to me. How can you not see her? She's wearing a red dress. But the nurse shook her head. No one else was there. Charles died not long after that. At the funeral, the nurse passed the story of the lady in red to Charles's children and some of his grandchildren. One of Charles's kids remembered a story that had been told to her about her uncle Lewis, who had died just two years before. It seemed as though Lewis had also been visited by someone that no one else could see, a woman wearing a red dress. Time marched on. The eldest son of Charles was also named Charles. He lived his best life raising and caring for his wife and four children, while educating and principaling students throughout the state of Michigan. But as Charles aged, the same disease that had struck his father also struck him. Macular degeneration. Charles lived with this condition for a long time. He also had lived a life with a disability of sorts. One leg was shorter than the other due to an accident when he was a small child. And now, Charles wanted a surgery that he hoped would improve the quality of his life. Although several of his children begged Charles not to go through with this surgery, Charles seemed excited about it. But one day, just a week before he was to travel to Petoskey, Michigan to undergo the surgery, he dozed off for a nap in his comfy lazy boy chair. He woke with a start and looked through his side vision to see his wife Margie also sleeping in her lazy boy. But then, Charles saw someone else standing nearby. Margie, he whispered. Margie didn't respond. Margie, he whispered, this time not really whispering. What? his startled wife shouted. Who's here? Charles asked. Margie looked around the room, bewildered. No one, Charles, she said. Yes, he insisted. There's a woman, standing next to the TV. How can you not see her? he chided. She's wearing a red dress. At that moment, Charles and Margie fell silent both of them recalling the story of the lady in red that Charles's father and uncle had both seen just days before their deaths. Charles pushed the thought out of his mind and went through with the surgery. After the surgery, he fell into a coma and died just days later. This story of Charles seeing a woman wearing a red dress was shared with Charles's children and grandchildren. It was shared with me.
I am one of Charles's granddaughters, and this story of the lady in red has mystified me for years. Some of our family members are skeptical. It could have happened the way it did, and rightfully so. I mean, how could two men with macular degeneration see well enough to see someone? But then, there are those of us who just can't shake the feeling that it must have happened. Charles and Margie's youngest son was one of the family members who did think it happened. He didn't live his life in fear of it happening or anything, but he was taken aback when looking through his son's wedding reception photos. Who is this? He pointed to a picture. His son looked and had a great explanation. That's so-and-so, Dad, he said. She was so-and-so's date. His father shook his head. I never saw her there that night, he said. He stared at the photo. The thing was, the woman was wearing a red dress. How could he not have seen her? She was literally standing just a few feet away from him as they were in some of the same photos. But she could be accounted for. Other people had seen her. She wasn't just some aberration that had shown up in photos. She had been seen by other people. But my uncle couldn't shake the eerie feeling. One year later, he passed away unexpectedly. I didn't even know about this part of the story until I asked my cousins what they remembered about the lady in red. My dad believed in her, two of my cousins said, and she seemed to bring him peace, not fear. That's it. That's it for my Halloween episode. But I wanted to tell you about my first commercial haunted house experience at Awaken in Leslie, Michigan. Now, I've been to a haunted forest when I was in college, which was terrifying because one of the haunters was my friend. He ran up behind me and lifted me into the air, something I was not expecting. Then my husband and I took our niece, Lindsay, to hollow weekends at Cedar Point, which I really want to do next year. Also, my husband used to put on an amazing haunted house in our hometown every year with the Holt Art Club students. So I guess I've had a lot of experiences, actually. But this was my first haunted house that I can remember where I didn't get to see a lot of the -the behind-the-scenes activities. And this haunted house was pretty good. I went with my friend Danielle, her son, my son, and two of their friends, who happened to be girls. Very nice girls, by the way. Anyhow, I was amazed at all of the props in the different rooms. Awaken uses something as simple as lighting to freak you right out. It disorients you and makes you wonder, like, what's going to happen next? They have some of the real yet retired equipment from the Leslie Funeral Home, just to give it that realistic twist. But I think that the most unsettling part was when Danielle and I were in the outside and we turned a corner and our kids were just gone. Like, poof, gone. And instead, there was a group of five girls in front of us. We were stumped. Then, just a few minutes later, the girls were gone, and a group of two guys and a girl were in front of us. It was so creepy. And yes, we did get our kids at the very end. (laughs) They said they'd been chased. And I think that that's, I don't know if Awaken did that on purpose to, like, really mess with your head. But, hey, way to go there, Awaken. So unfortunately, I didn't get this episode out in time to promote this establishment, but check it out next year. That's Awaken in Leslie, Michigan, right off the freeway, 127 South. Also, 
I had my first Where They Stood live presentation. You all. It was such a great experience. And of course, yeah, I was tripping. I was nervous at first, but I found my groove and everyone seemed to enjoy it. It was not recorded, but I do plan on releasing the material as like an episode soon as it does tie into a lot of season one stories. But I want to thank Sarah Grusbeck and the Eaton County Historical Commission for asking me to be the speaker for October's happy hour. And thank you to each and every one who attended and supported me in other ways. I really can't wait to do the next one. Thank you so much for listening today. My sources were you and your stories. I want to thank Becky Duffy, Joshua Pelham, Rebecca Kaur, Bill and Erica Jones, Liz Shaft, Paula D, my father, and Morbid Knowledge for the stories today. I also want to thank my three sponsors who subscribe and just give a little bit every month to help me keep this going. That's Julie, Crystal, and Chris. Thank you for being co-producers with me. Have a wonderful Halloween, and I'll be seeing you soon for more Where They Stood.